Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Patty Schlonsky, Vice President of the City Club's Board of Directors and a proud member. I'm pleased to introduce today's speaker, His Excellency Jose Ramon Cabanas Rodriguez, Ambassador of the Republic of Cuba to the United States. Ambassador Cabanas presented his credentials to President Barack Obama in 2015 two months after a restoration of diplomatic relations between the two countries. He is the first person to hold the position in almost 50 years. This appointment, coupled with the relaxation of travel and trade agreements, was perceived as a significant thaw in a relationship that had remained tense since the Cold War. President Donald J. Trump has taken a different policy approach to Cuba, restricting travel and trade, and focusing on pressuring the country and its regional allies, Venezuela and Nicaragua, for, with increasing sanctions aimed at their political, economic, and military leaders. What's next for the future of the relationship between the United States and Cuba? We look forward to hearing Ambassador Cabanas' perspective on where we are today. Ambassador Cabanas is a veteran diplomat who most recently served as chief of the Cuban Interests Section in Washington, D.C., after spending most of his career serving in various roles for the Cuban Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Cuba and North America. In 2001, he was appointed ambassador of Cuba to Austria and permanent representative to the international organizations in Vienna. Ambassador Cabanas is a member of many Cuban delegations, a role requiring significant travel and international relationships, and has been a member of several organizing committees for international events hosted in Havana. He holds a PhD in political science from Havana University and is also a senior professor at the Higher Institute of International Relations. Esteemed guests, members, and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming to the stage His Excellency Ambassador Jose Ramon Cabanas Rodriguez, Ambassador of the Republic of Cuba to the United States. Thank you very much. Well, uh, good afternoon. Thank you for your kind presentation. Uh, one of the consequences of becoming an old man is that your CV gets longer. Yeah? <laughs> but don't, don't get impressed by that. Uh, we are here with Ronnie Gonzalez, our deputy at the embassy. Uh, and before referring to the subject, uh, I mean the title of our presentation, our brief com uh, presentation here, I would like first to uh, show my respect to Reverend John Campbell. As you know, a very well-known person here in, in Cleveland. She, was a, she is, but she was a, a leader of the U.S. Council of, of Churches. And as a diplomat, uh, we have learned a lot from her, her attitude towards Cuba, 
And as probably many of you know, she has been instrumental in many things that has happened between Cuba and the United States. I feel that she's probably one of the most important diplomatic assets that this city and this country has. Uh, and I will invite mainly young people to know about her story uh, with Cuba and uh, with the United States. <laughs> and her husband, which is 50% of the whole subject. Eh? Uh, we thank uh, uh, LNE Group and our friend Lee Weinberg for his invitation. We, ha we are here for a program, three days, uh, that finished today in the afternoon. We are flying back to Washington, D.C., and we have had the chance to meet local authorities, to visit your medical institution, Overlink College. If some of you were yesterday at my presentation, sorry, I probably repeat a few ideas. Uh, but uh, I will try to be creative uh, here with you. And we had a glance of, we visited, we visited the port, Cleveland port. It's one of the nine American ports that they have signed an MOU with Mariel in Havana, with a vision of probably in the future, and I hope an immediate future, to, to do business with Cuba. Mariel is uh, the newest and um, um, more modern port we have in Cuba is a deep water container terminal with a, an economic zone around it. And it went, when I came in 2012, it was a project in a piece of paper. Today we have already 27 foreign companies investing in the area and we are uh, building constantly uh, real estate in the, in the zone. As some of you have visited, if not, Anytime soon you visit Cuba, I will certainly suggest to, to go to Mariel. Then, uh, I have to say, I left my crystal ball in the car, <laughs> but uh, we need to talk about the future. And to talk about the future, we uh, have to explain a little bit at least what happened during 2015 and 2016. There is, there is a lot of history behind those years, and we can address them. Uh, with your questions and comments, but if not, it would be endless, you know, if we explain the whole story. Uh, in December uh, 17, 2014, announcement was made that both governments decided to at least try to address differences and to head to reestablishing bilateral ties, reopen embassies, and establishing a process of negotiations. And at that very moment, we didn't have a clue uh, where we were leading to. Because first we had to build trust among our delegations. We were, we were not negotiating that often. We had to consider which would be the main topics uh, we will discuss. And we have to agree on what we will disagree because we have several uh, lists. I have to tell you, I have the chance to be part in, in the process. I was a member of the uh, bilateral commission. It was intensive. We discussed uh, many subjects. They were productive years. Uh, some people ask if uh, we were probably too slow, and we didn't deliver more, or probably we went too fast. You have both. I, I will not tell you my own opinion. The only thing I, I will tell you is that it was intensive and we cover a variety of features. I will tell you also that it's the first time in history 
that uh, we cover that many issues, and, and probably the, the success is that everything was based on respect and reciprocity. These days, you will find many articles and, and some officials talking about this was an unbalanced negotiation. Uh, the former government uh, had a concessions with Cuba. Uh, United States didn't gain anything with, with those MOUs and those agreements. I can tell you and I can explain you that is not that right. I mean, everything we negotiated was balanced. On every document, we have copies of, of them. You can read them and you can see how much the United States gained with those uh, agreements and how much Cuba gained uh, on them. Uh, it was a comprehensive uh, process. We covered from agriculture to education, uh, civil aeronautics. I mean, if we were able to reestablish bilateral uh, flights, I mean, direct flights from, from United States, because our companies are not flying to United States, it's just American companies flying into Cuba, is because we were able to uh, pass that, that uh, agreement. By the way, you don't have any other country with which you have implemented a, a direct flight agreement in seven months. We had three rounds of negotiation. Then if we talk about timing, we had three rounds and we came from, I mean, at, at the first round, we were in two opposite ends. I personally had the perception this, this would never happen. And my, that, that was my personal feeling at that round. Then we came closer and closer. And finally, when we signed it, and I have to say that uh, the role of American companies, and I will refer to that afterwards, was a key. I mean, the, the, the real actors in your society, from private citizens to companies to NGOs, religious groups, everyone was doing something in supporting it in some way. Well, the role of your air carrier was key to reach uh, that deal. And we implemented it, as I said, in, in seven uh, months. The MOU, we just talked in the morning about the MOU on health, is a huge umbrella under which we can do uh, cooperation from cancer to heart diseases to tropical diseases. We have two of them in agriculture, covering uh, animal health and, and uh, phytosanitary control. Well, the, I can go uh, on the list. Now, how we got there? Why we had that announcement December 17, uh, 2014? You will find other explanations. I will give you mine. Uh, we can debate about that. But there were different processes that for many years in parallel, they were unfolding and they had a coincidence at that moment in history. That, that happens from time to time. Uh, one of them is not the most important, but it was, uh, to my perception, the role of Cuba in the region, in the Caribbean region, in the Latin American uh, region. How Cuba was accepted as another partner, and in that uh, sense, we came from being almost completely isolated in the early 60s. Remember when Cuba was expelled from the OAS? And at that time, we retained bilateral relations only with Canada and Mexico, no one else. Early 70s, a small Caribbean states 
reopen negotiations with Cuba, not, not the large countries in the region, the smallest countries in the region. And then was a process that continued until uh, this century, up to a point in which that during the last uh, US uh, Latin America, the Summit of the Americas, before the announcement, the US delegation was told, the, the next one, Cuba is present, or we have no summit. I mean, just to summarize how the, the message was passed. It's more complex than that, because it's important that you look for information on how every time there was a regional summit, being Latin American or Caribbean, the subject of the Cuban, uh, American embargo against Cuba, you call embargo and we call blockade, and during our negotiations, we decided to call embargo slash blockade, <laughs> uh, how the whole subject was covered, and how Latin American and Caribbean countries basically told the United States, it makes no sense. It's not helping you, it's not helping the Cubans, and it's not helping uh, the, the region. Then we have that subject. Another subject is how was changing the feeling among the Cuban-American community about Cuba. Not about the Cuban revolution, not about the Cuban government, but about Cuba. What's the kind of relationship that they wanted to establish with the country of origin? And uh, to get a sense of those changes, I will recommend mainly young students to Google, not because the older cannot Google, but <laughs> to young students to Google on FIU uh, polls on Cuba, among Cuban Americans. There is a Cuban professor, Cuban American professor, Guillermo Grenier, who has been conducting polls among Cuban Americans every two years. The last one will come soon. And he has documented how that group have moved. I'm not saying to the left or to the right. He has moved to a position in which they, whatever they think about the Cuban government, our domestic politics, <laughs> They want something that they call the, the family agenda, which is like any Puerto Rican, any Colombian, any Spaniard person would like to have with the country of origin. I would like to visit, I would like to communicate, I would like to send remittances, I would, ha would like to probably have some economic interest there. To give you just one figure, we have in recent years, mainly since 2013, we have 35 thousand Cuban Americans who repatriated to Cuba, which means they are not physically living there. They, are, they have the ID on both sides. I mean, they live in the United States, they have the residence in Cuba, and they come back and forth. And on top of that, we have roughly half million Cuban Americans visit, visiting Cuba every year. That tells you something. I mean, it's not a referendum, it's not a vote, but at least it's not anymore the situation we had in the 60s, when no contacts, nothing happening, Cuba was able, that, that changed. And that reflects on how they behave in the United States, what kind of policy they support or they don't, uh, what kind of official they elect or not. And immediately before the announcements, you can check in the media, I will not mention names, but you will find uh, leaders of that community 
Republicans and Democrats, uh, people uh, who are CEOs of very large uh, companies, making a statement supporting that change. And they said repeatedly, you know, it has come the time we have to have a different view towards Cuba. Whatever that means, but a different, a different view. Then we had changes in the region, changes among the Cuban American community, and the look of the business community in the United States towards Cuba. That's another element. For that, follow every statement made by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and President Tom Donahue all along the years. My, the position of the, uh, the chamber has been historically that the embargo slash blockade doesn't make any sense. They want to have American business in Cuba. And they, uh, many experts and many firms like uh, LNE Group have been following the internal changes, economic changes in Cuba. How many space we have created for private and cooperative uh, uh, businesses, uh, new legislation on foreign investment, how many companies are coming in, the Mariel project, as I mentioned, and we have others, our, our advances in biotechnology. Cuba is not anymore a, a sugarcane producer, and the whole economy based on one commodity. Uh, our economy is a, is a service economy based on tourism, biotechnology, uh, education, and, and we are still produce uh, in agriculture, rum and cigar are still relevant, but uh, I'm probably very symbolic about Cuba. But nickel, for instance, is more important than uh, what we earn on, uh, with cigars and, and, and rum. And that was that look. I mean, the, the American business community, I'm talking in general, is not, uh, not in all states, not in all cities with the same strength. But they were saying, you know what? There is an opportunity there, and we are missing that. And from Cuba, we were saying, we are introducing these changes. We are an, an 11 million economy. We are 11 million people. And we welcome 5 million every year. Then we have to feed 16 million people, roughly. That figure can, uh, can change. We import currently $2 billion in food, because our agriculture is not producing enough. And then that's an opportunity you have there. In United States terms, it's not a big deal. It's not a large amount of money. But when you go and talk to guys, producers, in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, uh, even Florida, you know, you know uh, 200 millions make a difference for, for some companies. We have been buying from United States on the a loophole in the embargo. A, a, a regulation that was passed in the year 2000. We have been buying food, paying cash, upon arrival, I mean, without credits. You will hear from your official sources that the trade between Cuba and the United States, there is no trade. I mean, no one make that kind of transaction without credits in, in this world. Then that's, that is not trade exactly. But through that connection, many companies in the United States realize that first, we, we had a capacity to pay. I mean, not, not to be indebted with the, the companies. Uh, they knew about the potential. Uh, the peak on those transactions were, uh, was in the year 2008, when we bought 
$800 million in commodities from American producers. Since then, we had to reduce. We had the expectation that at some point we will enjoy the availability of credits that never came. The legislation never changed. But what I'm trying to refer is that business community, the business community here, they met Cuban counterparts. They knew about Cuba, the potential. They got information about how much we were buying from other sources. And they say, well, we, ha we have a space. We have a space. And, and probably we, we will miss that. And from Cuba, we said, you know what? Our foreign investment uh, legislation, our foreign trade doesn't limit you from coming to do business with us. It's the embargo. It's not us. Then we will deal with you as, as uh, the same. We deal with any French company, any Italian company, Mexican company. It's up to you. Uh, and they realized that we were saying the truth. I mean, we, we, it, was, it was fine. Uh, and then companies like uh, large phone companies, well, you, you then saw the stories about the cruise liners, how that we went, we, cruise liners were never a priority in our sense of uh, tourism and the way we wanted to develop tourism. They were not on any Cuban plan. We never envisioned that. We never built a, a facility at any port to welcome cruise liners. And if the time in which we implemented direct flights was short, the time in which we implemented cruise uh, trips was shorter. I mean, we, we, we received the, and it was, I, I wouldn't say an adventure, but it was a challenge. And from the time we welcomed at the embassy the first proposals up to the moment you had the chip arriving in Havana and other ports was minimal. And then our guys, you know that that brings a lot of logistics. <laughs> I mean, 2,300 people landing immediately. They look from water up to whatever. Well, we reacted to that. We, we offered the services. And I have to say, because the, the current policy uh, is uh, allegedly addressed to help the Cuban people, that kind of visitors was a plus for the private businesses in Cuba. I mean, private restaurants, private uh, craftsmen, uh, private services all around those ports that now are suffering a lot for the lack of uh, those uh, visitors. Then that's the, the third factor, which is uh, how business community felt about Cuba. And there is a fourth, it could be a fifth and a sixth and a seventh, but I will mention just a fourth factor which is that uh, United States as a society felt that finally everyone agreed that the embargo was a failed policy. I mean, 55 years later, no one can show what you got in exchange of the, the large amount of money and resources and human resources you invested to put Cuba on your knees, on their knees. I mean, not you, the, 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 the government, the 11 administration before. And not only the cost of Bay of Peaks, but the, the cost of uh, many programs that are funded from the federal government. If, if, if you are able to find all those numbers and add the, all of them, we are talking about billions of dollars. The only outcome is that you have made the life of Cuba, Cubans more difficult. The, United, uh, the embargo 
the, the only outcome is that our plans for development have unfolded slowly and not so fast as, as we wanted to. Because the embargo, you have been told, this is a bilateral issue with Cuba, no, it's a multilateral system of measures. It looks for cutting our transactions with third countries. It goes after any company doing business with Cuba, then this is not a bilateral initiative against Cuba. It, it tries to cut our links all over the, the place. And recently, when the uh, Title III of the so-called Hans-Burton Law has been implemented, you, has, you have seen more than 20 lawsuits against foreign companies that are investing, and American companies, that they have had some kind of deal uh, with Cuba. Then the, the whole notion that the, the embargo or the blockade is a bilateral thing with Cuba, it is not. In general terms, those, those were the factors that were in place or, or the trends that we follow and we consider that they are the explanation of why we got those announcements. And of course, you did it a president with the conviction or the arguments to set what he said and to take the decision. And you needed a, a, a president, you needed a team, I mean, who was the Secretary of State at the time, which was the delegation you were able to build to conduct the negotiation, how that structure functioned, because you cannot do that from the top. I mean, you, you, to implement the policy, you, you need to have several people on the ground to implement that policy. But in those two years, years and a half, United States acted in, a, I would say, a monolithic way forward in that direction. The decision was taken, and there was a command to implement the decision that was uh, taken. In Cuba has been asked uh, many times how Cubans received that announcement. The media many times say that in Cuba, you know, we have the right-wingers, the conservatives, the orthodox. Uh, we don't have that many groupies in Cuba. We are Cubans. Uh, we, we, we feel basically the same way about most uh, things, except baseball. But if we keep that aside, we usually we have a coincidence. We, we know about the same history. We know about the same practices. And no matter what, uh, I mean, people, the, the personal story of every person, 99% of our population, when the announcements were met, we celebrated. Simply because our, our people said, well, by the end, someone on the other side realized that we do are a country. They don't like us, but we are a country. We have institutions, we have a legal system, we have security, we control our territory, and they recognize that we can sit and talk as equals. We can show respect to each other, and this was not the history before that moment. Not, o not only during the the period of the revolution, I mean, 59 up to that moment, but the, the, the history before that. And then we, we can talk for hours about that history, but for many years, and we can say that we call ourselves Cubans for the last 200 years, roughly, 250 years, but for 80% of that time, the vision from the United States was to colonize Cuba 
in one way or the other. You can call it annexation. I will not compare with the status of any territory to these days, but the, the vision was Cuba should belong to the United States. And you can see quotes from many American presidents and secretaries of states in that direction. And the Cuban Revolution was a disruption on that. I mean, it was simply to make it impossible. It will never happen. And since then, well, you, you know the, the story and the many differences uh, we have had. I'm explaining this because I have been asked here about the, uh, to talk about the future. To talk about the future, we have to have a, a knowledge about at least the, the, the most immediate past. And uh, yesterday at the Overlin College, I, I had a question about the future. I was trying, I don't have a board here, but I was trying to do some graphics. <coughs> uh, policy, US policy towards Cuba, although mostly has been negative and, and mostly has been the, the intention to implement the embargo, have had ups and downs. And it has gone like this, depending on your political cycles presidential elections, whatever. Those subjects that we agreed on, and probably others, and I will refer on which we didn't agree, but we would probably never ever agree, should unfold like this. I mean, you have the politics, and you have those subjects in which we need to continue. It's not about if we have the will or not. We, we have to talk and we have to negotiate, and we have to come to terms. There is a subject which is vicinity. I mean, we are very close, we are neighbors. At least we don't have any plan to move somewhere else. <laughs> then that means that climate change is the same. We, we, by the way, we don't have a debate in Cuba about climate change. We all know that we do have climate change. Then the, the effects on our sea line is the same effect on Louisiana sea line, Florida sea line, New Jersey sea line. It's amazing, I can tell you, I have enjoyed that experience. When our scientists sit together, they don't need an interpreter. I mean, they, they understand each other pretty well. Well, from the government, we need to re reflect and support that. Not to, tell, not to tell you about health. We just had visited the hospital. We are coming from the hospital. Uh, what uh, our communities are doing on cancer, on uh, brain diseases, heart diseases, is amazing. We need to help that from governments to, to unfold, to continue. Tropical diseases, uh, Ebola, uh, who were the only two countries that sent people, physicians, to fight Ebola in, in Africa, Cuba and United States. The rest of the world, they send gloves, they send a machine, they send a, a truck, but human beings, Cuba and United States. We have issues from fisheries. Most of the fishes that are eaten in, in Florida, they, they are Cuban-born because the trend brings them from the, the stream in the, in the sea uh, from Cuba. Uh, the NOAA, Need the needs the information we produce about hurricanes in the Caribbean. They are blind. I mean, NOAA is completely blind if we don't share with them not only the forecast, but the impact we have uh, on Cuba. 
And by the way, for many states in the United States, it is relevant that our, our expertise and our resilience to face uh, those uh, natural uh, disasters. I can go on and on with a list of those subjects, education, of course, those subjects in which we uh, are forced to, to negotiate. What is happening, and, and there are some, I said, I, I will refer those in which we have nothing to negotiate and our, our positions are completely apart. For instance, Guantanamo Naval Base. We don't recognize US presence in Guantanamo. Guantanamo belongs to Cubans. And uh, we have nothing to offer in exchange. It's a non-negotiable position. And hopefully, at some point, uh, your troops will move somewhere else, and Guantanamo will return uh, to Cuba. Under Bagdo, nothing to negotiate. I mean, it's legislation passed by your Congress. At some point, you will decide or not to change the legislation. For many years, I have to tell you, many Democrat, Democrats and Republicans in Congress, they have pushed for a change in the legislation. There has been for many years a, a Cuba working group in the House, both Republicans and Democrats. They have tried to change uh, the whole thing, or they have tried to change a specific points in the legislation, like freedom to travel, uh, act trade, uh, provide credits, but so far they haven't been successful. And probably there, there are others in foreign politics, in foreign policy. From time to time, we get a request from the United States, the government or someone else, why do you support that particular country or why do you support that particular uh, government? Well, we don't ask that question to the United States. We negotiate with the United States, our bilateral subjects. You are free to have the foreign policy you decide. And of course, we are uh, free to decide the foreign policy we think is, is relevant for us. And there is a history on, on every case. If you want to ask, more than pleased to, to respond. And I, I will end. I was advised that I had a watch in front of me. Then I know the, the minutes uh, left. Uh, but let me refer to something that we feel is relevant for that future, which is yourself. Uh, and from time to time, uh, and I even tell my people in Cuba, Let's don't be that afraid about who wins the election, which party, uh, the person, uh, or the majority in, in Congress, the House, the Senate. But uh, let's spend more time, as we do usually in any country, with local governments, local institutions, companies, religious groups, the media, the young people. I mean, we, we, we devote a lot of efforts uh, from the embassy or, and, and from the Cuban institution to university exchange, of course, because universities are the future. I mean, in a few years, some of us will be at least retired, but the young people will be in. And I was myself a product of a university exchange with American students, I won't tell you when, <laughs> some years ago, <laughs> early 80s, and we developed a kind of relationship that we have remained friends for all our life. We meet very often. We remember some of them now they are coming with a cane, but still. <laughs> uh, but that's the kind of linkage 
that we pretend to build with the U.S. universities is endless. I have been asked uh, how many programs do we have? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Uh, it's, it's a constant point that when we visit a, a, a university in the United States, suddenly the president of the university discovered that at least two faculty members and 20 students has been visiting Cuba for a while. And then they try to make it you know, official, and then they sign MOUs with Havana University. Or we have more than 50 higher education institutions in Cuba. They do it with the whole system or with a specific uh, universities considering the, the specialty. I mean, the, those sectors, they, the, the faculties they, they have. I have no doubt that the, our future relationship, the trend, and then you will have probably ups and downs again, but the trend is to a positive development. And I simply count on the way I have seen how the American people has established the, their own links with the, the Cuban people. Uh, the people who oppose, the, those politicians who, who oppose a better relationship with, with Cuba are very afraid about travel. But the, the, the argument about the money go, going to the government, the real concern is that as many Americans visit Cuba, as many Americans know that Cuba, it is not what they were told it was. <coughs> I'm not saying it's better, but it, it, it is not what they, they were told it was. They bring their own experience. They come with their own friends. They have their own reference. They have the, the, their own uh, view. And they, most of them, I have to say, that although they are not then engaged in political activity, or, some, or things like that, but they change their perception and they don't continue supporting the, what has been the, the policy of, of the embargo. That, by the way, when we had the change in, in 2017 and a new policy, quote unquote, was announced, actually everything we read was the same of the 60s, the same of the 70s. It was really going back. There is nothing new in that policy. I'm from Cuba. 11 million people have said, basically, we are going back to the old game. <coughs> we have survived several times. If we, it is about more embargo and more blockade, I can tell you we will never, ever be on the same situation like we have in the early 90s, when we lost 85% of our trade overnight with the disappearance of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc and when our uh, gross nat uh, natural product went down 35% overnight, boom. Try to find any other economy, a small economy, that has faced that, has survived that. that uh, among Cubans, we have a feeling, probably it's a religious feeling, Reverend, you will tell me, that we have survived almost anything. From war, because Bay of Pigs was a war, up to an hour blockade, up to, you name it. Then, I will end with this. Our national plans will continue moving forward with the presence of specific institutions or foreign governments in some of them or not. And our plans uh, probably will continue receiving the effects of the American policy. But we hope that at some point we can go back to the place where we were. We renew negotiations. 
and we renew those projects that we were uh, building together. I will leave it here, and I think now someone else will give the, the floor for the questions and comments. Thank you very much. Today at the City Club, we're listening to a forum with His Excellency Jose Ramon Cabanas Rodriguez, Ambassador of the Republic of Cuba to the United States. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, or those of you joining us via live stream or radio broadcast on 90.3 WCPN. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it to at the City Club, and our staff will try to fit it into the program. Holding the microphones today are Director of Programming, Stephanie Jansky, over there, and Communications and Outreach Manager, Julia Wong, over there. May we have the first question, please? Your Excellency, well, welcome to Cleveland. Thank you. His Excellency, Ricardo Alacon, former Cuban ambassador to the United Nations, in 2006 said, Democracy should begin with Pericles' definition that, that society is for the benefit of the majority and should not be imposed from outside. My question is, what role can the United Nations or bilateral or multilateral agreements amongst nations play in entering interference in the elections of, and other internal affairs of other nations? After all, at the City Club's uh, event earlier this week on Iran, we heard about the United Nations, the United States' uh, coup, a coup in Iran in 1953. Uh, your own nation has experienced a U.S.-supported invasion. We overthrew a democratically elected government of Chile in 1973. And now the United States has had its own elections, interfered with by Russia. Uh, my, my question is, what is the path forward to ensuring that all the nations of the world can conduct their affairs in a way that's consistent with all United Nations, uh, you know, universal human rights and without interference from outside. Thank you very much. Uh, if I were to summarize, the, the answer would be simply to show mutual respect. I mean, we are different countries in size, in history, but we have just one planet. I mean, we, that idea that we will be soon moving somewhere else it's not possible. Without mutual respect, we, we uh, usually talk about the uh, illegal system that we, I mean, the multi, as you said, the multilateral, the international law, well, but let's apply all of them equally to every uh, case. International legislation is not when, when I like it or when it helps my position, is even if it's against me. And we have multilateral organizations. I, I think that as many of us are, are members of those organizations, and we accept the, the rule of those organizations that we created, then the better. Then Cuba, I, I don't recall, well, probably OAS, but this is something different. We can talk about OAS here. But anything related to the multilateral system we belong to, we belong to more multilateral instruments and agreements than the United States, including in human rights, then we, we need to respect those principles and comply with them. Not two hours during the day, but 24 hours during the day. It's difficult. 
uh, behind your question, there are economic interests, huge companies, resources. We say in Cuba that we are very happy that we are a rock in the middle of the Caribbean. So far, no oil, at least not large amounts, no diamonds, no gold. And our main asset is the Cuban people. Uh, but we know about interest of uh, multinational companies, foreign governments. It's, it's about respect. Respect, uh, reciprocity, uh, and probably to go back to the principles that guided the, the aboriginal communities, you know? Uh, that, that would be my reaction to your question. And thank you for reminding us, uh, Ricardo Alacón, who was a former minister Foreign Affairs, a former ambassador to the United Nations, and former president of the Cuban National Assembly. He's, as Reverend Campbell, is an, an icon in Cuban diplomacy. Uh, Jose Feliciano, as you know, I'm a famous singer. Um, <laughs> from your perspective, what, what is your understanding uh, of the principal barrier uh, to stop the embargo? Is it human rights, and, and if so, you know, what are the human rights allegations, uh, and is there any substance to those? Well, uh, thank you for your question. If we go to documents, and we go to the uh, presidential executive order signed by President Kennedy at the time to implement the embargo, the first paragraph says something that we need to implement these measures considering the links of Cuba with the Soviet Union and the communist China and then blah, 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 blah. Well, the Soviet Union is not around, and the Communist China, United States has more, more investment and trade with the Communist China than we do. <laughs> uh, it seems that those excuses are not valid anymore. But some people needed some excuses to continue the policy. And that uh, it, it goes from our role in Central America, supporting uh, changes in, in Central America, the revolution in Nicaragua, what happened in El Salvador, in other countries, our role in Africa, at some point in the 70s and the 80s was used. Well, our role in Africa was, uh, as a result of our presence in Africa, the apartheid was over. At that time, the United States was on the wrong side of history. And at that time, Mandela was considered a terrorist. And that, Mindset in change only when Mandela was the president and uh, was elected by out of prison and elected by a large majority. In the mid 90s, with the uh, Hans Burton legislation, then suddenly the reason for the embargo is the nationalization process in Cuba and those claims that uh, by American companies that are the claims that we do recognize. But on that legislation, it was added that people who were Cuban citizens at the time, they do have also a right to claim under that legislation, which is a nonsense. I mean, it's, it's a, a principle that you never apply then in international legislation. What happened with the claims from American companies? When we nationalized that, pro uh, that property, uh, there is a piece of legislation for that in Cuba. On that legislation, we said, we will use the income we earn through a sugar quota to pay and compensate those companies. You have to ask yourself why do we don't have any claim from France, from Spain, from Canada. We compensated all of them. 
was, what was the US reaction? Cancel the sugar quota. Then we had no income to, to compensate. And we have had that debate since then. By the way, if we talk about claims, we need to talk about American claims, and we need to talk about Cuban claims, because we have the cost of the embargo for so many years that is not only a, an economic cost, but a human cost. I mean, we have had people losing their life as a consequence uh, of the embargo or the blockade. When we say that it's an immoral policy that is not legal and is criminal, it's because Cubans have lost their life in Cuba. Uh, we have had people in a hospital, uh, and we didn't get in time a product, uh, a machinery, something that we need to, to face the disease and, and passing away, as simple as that. Uh, and then human rights. Suddenly, many guys who were involved in, in terrorist actions in the 60s and the 70s, when after September 11, they became from terrorists to human rights uh, activists, you know? And uh, it has been an argument used uh, against Cuba and used to sustain the, the embargo. Well, during those years in 2015 and 2016, we said we can't talk about anything, including human rights. And we had rounds on human rights. We have different perceptions about human rights. I don't want to have any say on your domestic debate precisely these days in this country, but for us, good and free education and health is a human right. It is not in your society, and we respect that, but in Cuba it is. And when we sit with any American counterpart, we start by that. You know? A human being is born and he or she deserves to be educated, to be raised, and to, and to have access in equal terms. And by the way, in Cuba, we don't talk about minorities. In Cuba, it's a Cuban people, whatever it is your origin, you, you deserve the access to at least those services. You deserve access to a, a society with no violence. You deserve a, a, a society that allows you to walk in the middle of the night without any uh, uh, impression that you will have a criminal after you, Cuba is a, is a safe society, uh, basically. I'm not saying we don't have social issues, but in general terms, it's one of those aspects that many visitors, they, they, they mention, they, they are surprised by the levels of security and safety they, they feel in, in our cities. Uh, from time to time, you see in the, in the media the name of one particular person. This guy, they has been, he, he or she has been, it is detained for so many days, no charges, no trial. During those conversations, I will not do it now, but during those conversations, we compare your numbers and our numbers. How many people you have in prison? For what reason? How many people do we have in prison? For under which uh, circumstances? There are many cases in the United States that are not considered political cases. We do consider them political cases from Cuba. But again, the point is, do, do you want to talk officially about that? We talk. We come from different perspectives. We have a different view about human rights, the way we implement them. And in Cuba, the way it's not a statement or a, or a, or a headline. It's a policy under every uh, under each of them to be implemented, something in the which we believe 
if we talk about religion, religious freedom, and we have an expert here, I will not pretend to be an expert on that. And from time to time, you, you see a headline about, talking about one religious leader in Cuba that no one knows, uh, but the, the media doesn't quote from the exchange, the historic exchange. And again, I recommend young people to read along the years joint statements from the Cuban Council of Churches and the U.S. Council of Churches. No one else on earth know more about religion freedom in Cuba than those two institutions. And they have followed together how that subject has been developing in Cuba. And in Cuba we have, to my last account, 57 religious, from religious, and the Catholic religious, to those religious practices that are not technically considered religions. Uh, but we have from the Palo Monte in Africa up to anything else. I mean, and during the last year, due to the presence of many foreigners coming as tourists, we have felt the influence. And then we have now small communities that suddenly they don't have any tradition in Cuba because of that, uh, as, as an impact of, of that exchange, then suddenly they have a presence and they have all the rights guaranteed under the Constitution. And again, we have the expert here who could probably talk better than me on religious freedom. The whole point is an argument and we can continue for a century uh, talking our arguments. We, at some point, if we don't want to talk with the United States, we can say, well, unless you dismantle 800 military bases that you have all over the, the world, we have nothing to talk with you. I can go on, 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 on. Now, the, 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 the point is the political will. If we, yeah, we don't need to think if at some point we will be able to sit and talk because yeah, we did it. I mean, it's, it's, this, this question, we don't need to ask ourselves anymore. We don't need to ask ourselves if we will be engaged in a process, because we were. We don't need to ask ourselves if we would deliver, because we did deliver. We don't, ask, don't need to ask ourselves if we are able to build something together, because we did it. The question is, are you ready to continue the process? I tell you, every place we visit outside Washington, people say yes. How that reflects in your political system That's your part of the question. Thank you. Today at the City Club, we have been listening to a forum with His Excellency Jose Ramon Cabanas Rodriguez, Ambassador of the Republic of Cuba to the United States. The community partner for today's forum is the Cleveland Council on World Affairs, Hotel and accommodations are provided by the Ritz-Carlton Cleveland. We appreciate your support and partnership of today's forum. We welcome guests at tables hosted by Global Cleveland and the LNE Group, as well as students from Campus International High School and Mayfield Schools. Support for student participation in City Club forums comes from the Shar and Chuck Family Foundation and the William M. Weiss Foundation with additional support from the donors you'll find listed in today's program. We are happy to have you here. And that brings to us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Ambassador.
And thank you members and friends of the City Club with special thanks to our City Club members whose financial support makes our work possible. To find, more, uh, find out more about upcoming forums and how you can support the City Club, visit us online at cityclub.org. The forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.